Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello everyone, Charles Watts here. Welcome to another edition of Inside Arsenal. But of course it's Tuesday, which is Give or take, going to be the day that we always do this during the week. It is Inside Arsenal Extra Time. We are going to go with the Extra Time label. The special show once a week with myself and James Venge of CBS. Good morning, James. How are you feeling this Tuesday morning after a late night journey home from Selhurst Park last night? Morning, Charles. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty much feeling like I suspect every everyone, Arsenal fans, probably Palace fans, everyone that was trying to get back from Selhurst Park last night. It is a, a wonderful ground if you're lucky enough to not have a great big pile of steel between you and the pitch, between your view of the pitch, uh, but it is a nightmare to get back from. Um, also, huge thanks to all the um, viewers and listeners that sent us their, their name suggestions. We have gone with precisely none of them and picked Charles's idea instead. We have, we have. I think I've. Uh, we went through them. We did take the time to go through them, but nothing. They weren't good. Nothing sprang out as like, yeah, that's what we should do. And I think inside Arsenal extra time works. It separates it from the original show, but keeps inside Arsenal label, and it's kind of a football reference. So sod it. That's what we're going to go. You'll do the job. Inside Arsenal extra time. It is. I'm going to try and get a uh, a different sort of logo designed for this show to, to separate it even more but yeah James a win wasn't pretty but it's a win another win Arsenal sitting with six points from six after the opening two games of the season you were at Selhurst Park last night to witness it and yeah I mean what do you sort of this morning how are you sort of feeling about what you saw last night and what you saw from Arsenal I, I mean I, I, it was really interesting hearing Mikel Arteta be so buoyant about the first half because even though sort of I thought it was a step on from Forest and there were good chances and obviously you kind of almost forget what happened when it was 11 against 10 because, you know, Palace are a good team and they're going to test you at 11 against 11. But 11 against 10, I still thought it was a little slow. Um, I thought Arsenal lacked a little bit of zip to an extent. I'm kind of inclined to to give them a, a pass on that because, as you said, Charles, the most important thing, you know, we had six points from six, and that is by far the most important thing at this stage of the season, particularly, and this is why I'd give them a, a pass, when you're trying new things. I think, you know, even in the few minutes that Alexander Zinchenko was on the pitch as a substitute uh, with Arsenal paying what looked like a back six, back seven, if they could squeeze everyone in, there was a real zip to their play. And I saw so little of that with Thomas Partey inverting. Um, I, I don't think that means it's, it's doomed. I don't think that means it just shouldn't be continued. You know, Arsenal 
might have sort of stumbled on something very quickly that worked with with Zinchenko but but normally you need to give formations a while to bed in and I felt like this was pretty much across the pitch at a bedding in game with the exception of of one player who I'm sure we'll come on to talk about um, I thought Declan Rice was was sensational um up there with I mean, it's not a debut. It's not even a pen. It's an away debut, I guess. But uh, up there with one of the best sort of early season performances I've seen from an Arsenal signing in a while. That's for sure. Yeah, he was really good, wasn't he? He really was good. He sort of came into his own in that game, and you kind of look at that performance away from home, and you think that's the exact sort of reason why Arsenal signed him, wasn't it? Just to bring that quality in the field. I thought he, I thought he was excellent. Now there was an interesting game, to be honest. I thought. First half started slowly. I thought Arsenal were very good for the last twenty minutes of the first half. I thought they start that was they started to yeah. purr a little bit. Then they started to create chances. Obviously, you know Eddie hit the post and then he missed the one when he, which he put over. You know had had either of those gone in, I think you would have said at half time that was a decent away performance from Arsenal. And then I thought the first fifty minutes of the second half they were uh, they were good again. They got the lead and then they were just in such control of that game. At that point, I thought they were going to go on and, and win it pretty comfortably. And of course, it all, it all turned after that with the with the red card from Tommy. But yeah, it was. I thought it was another interesting game. Look, clearly Arsenal are not there. We're not at the best at the moment, are are they? They they are bedding in. It is a new system. It is a new team, and and they just seem to be bedding in a little bit at the moment. And the party right back thing. I don't know. I mean, look, look, let me just quickly bring up the stats. From the game, and these need, I think need to be taken into account. A yeah, little bit because before the red card, those look very, very different. You know, Arsenal were really in control of that game. They, I thought they were playing well, and then it all changed. The last half an hour was, was completely. Different. I was a little bit disappointed in the way Arsenal approached that last half hour. Actually, I thought watching that, I thought they just sat deep straight away, and it was like right, protect what we've got. And I thought there was still enough quality in that Arsenal team, even with 10 men, to take the game to Palace a little bit and mm-hmm. not just sit deep and protect that lead. I thought they, maybe it was a little bit dangerous, but it worked. And Palace didn't really cause Arsenal any problems with the extra man. They had that one header, didn't I think it was Edward. Was it Edward with about five minutes to go when he sort of got between? It didn't even get it, yeah. Didn't even really get it. anything on it, target. did he? he missed the target. But that was the only real chance I thought, oh my God, that was a good chance. Other than that, Arsenal kept him at arm's length. And so ultimately they did the job. But I did think maybe they sat deep a little bit too early after the Tommy Tommy Asu red card. But I mean, we're going to talk about the Reds. What I hope it's a farcical decision. I, I, it was an awful, yep. awful decision. And it was made even worse by what had happened just before with um, Ayu, who is on a yellow card, you know, pulling back Bakai Saka. And what was a far worse foul it wasn't a bad foul but it was far worse than what we saw from from Tommy Astor and what, what did you make of both yellow cards really yeah I mean you know I don't really love talking about refereeing but you have to in in circumstances like this like the first yellow card I am sort of sympathetic to why David Coote gave a yellow card to Arsenal it was coming, wasn't for, it? Was it was coming for time wasting. I, I mean, frankly, first of all, there's something incredibly bizarre about watching an Arsenal game and the team that's riling up the opposition by taking too long on their goal kicks is Arsenal. Not seen that in a while. Um, yeah, that was in the post. I think it was really a sort of, you know, it's the equivalent of when you see two or three players tactically foul Bukayo Saka and maybe the third player it actually hasn't made the worst tackle. Um, and maybe all three of them aren't necessarily yellow cards, but the the referee just needs to say, "Look, I don't want any more of this." Um, I mean, it was interesting that, that the the, the throw in thing has happened quite a bit already. Trent um, for Liverpool against Chelsea. I'm pretty certain there was one in. Um, so this is my third game of the week in in the in person. So they're all kind of melding into one. But I think I saw one at Tottenham United as well. Uh, like. And, and what Klopp said was very interesting that he says, you need to think of these throw-ins as, as set pieces. We need to get our players in position. We need time. I think Tommy Asu took about 18 to 20 seconds. It was a bit dawdly, but it's not unreasonable. Um, I think, yeah, then, he, he, he took about eight seconds. He, I think the whole the whole situation, because someone else had the ball, then they threw it to Tommy. Tommy took far less than whoever had the ball initially. Yeah. But I think it was just clocking up of those seconds. And unfortunately, he was the guy with the ball at the time. And that's why he got the yellow. I mean, 
there's very little worse uh, just from a purely, you know, finding yourself suddenly being counter-attack perspective. There's very little worse than throwing away, you know, possession from a throw-in. I do understand why clubs want to take their time on that. I wonder if that's something we'll see officials ride back on. I'm talking about that so much because I just think the, the, the second yellow is just a really bad decision. Um, I don't understand how Coote, because I haven't even seen a TV angle that shows um, a clear tug by Tommy Asu. Um, and I think given it's a second yellow, I, I would expect the bar to be relatively high. Um, and it's it's just not. It, it looks to me like Tommy Asu is defending as you are supposed to defend, which is to, you know, have contact with the player to be on top of a player that is going to look to spin away and get in behind. His hands are on him and RU runs away and Tommy Asu lets go. That is... You know, that's defending 101. Um, I don't even think he let go. He's not got a grasp of him at any yeah, point. Matt. He's exactly. just basically touching him, but he doesn't let go because he's not got a grasp on it. Five minutes earlier, are you let's go of a guy attacker? He is full yeah. on grabbing him and pulling him back after getting spun. And David Coop waves that. Well, he, he gives a foul, but no further. So how can you as a match official, I just don't understand it, let that one go. And then immediately get yellow card out the second Tommy Asu does that. It's so baffling. It was it was the classic home versus away decisions. I think I don't think Tommy Asu gets booked in either of those circumstances if Arsenal are at home. I completely agree, a hundred percent. And like I don't ever think it's up to the referees to make the contest more fun for neutrals, for the viewing audience, for the people at the ground. But let's not be sort of officious here to and spoil the game because of it. Like it's it's pedantry, but it's not even like consistent pedantry. Um, you know, if if he'd sent IU off and Tommy Yasu, I mean, obviously IU's not on the pitch, but you know what I mean. If he sent IU off and Tommy Yasu does that to whoever's in IU's place in this new scenario, um, yeah, I mean, you'd say it's a bit over the top, but at least it's consistency. Um, I mean. I don't always think it's easy to have consistency across a whole league season. I hate it when you kind of get these decisions compared from September involving Man United to April involving Liverpool. But come on, man, 10 minutes of consistency is is not beyond the wit of the, the best officials in the land. It's, it's really um, clumsy officiating. That's the only thing that's clumsy. And I know at the time I said Tommy Asu made a slightly iffy decision, but if you're getting booked for that, you just can't defend. No, no, you can't. It was it was a really bizarre one. I think made made worse by what happened five minutes earlier. I just don't think there's any. I'd love to know what he's thinking this morning when he sees that David Coote when he's talking. You know, being sort of assessed for for his performance. I'd love to know what he says. Not that we ever will, but it would be really interesting just to get his mindset into how those those decisions came to pass because it could have been really costly. Ultimately, it wasn't. So you know, we're spending a little bit of time talking about this, but ultimately, it wasn't. And I do wonder. I do wonder if long-term this proves to be a good thing for Arsenal because it suddenly turned into a backs-to-the-wall type win and you saw at the end what it meant to them to get over the line in that in that scenario and the, the way they celebrated. You know, it meant a lot and ultimately I wonder if that's a good thing because it just builds that mentality and what is, you know, a new squad, there's new players in there, a new team in there and they've got over the line. And yeah, I think that might be a decent, a decent thing long-term for Arsenal. Well, I'm, I'm stealing this stat from from our friend Kaya at Football London a little bit, but you know, sort of this iteration of Arsenal, the the title challengers, they've not won a game like this in the Premier League. I, I had forgotten this, but Arsenal didn't get a red card last season. Um, I mean, Mikel Arteta is still in in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, if he's yeah, still no, trying to work out. No, it was Gabriel. You've got Gabriel. Season before yeah. the one at Wolves, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. When they were getting a sort of weekly red card, um, mm. but things sort of quietened down. So obviously, a lot of these players, are, the likes of Gabriel, are pretty used to, um, you know, those those one nil wins against Wolves and fighting with ten men. I think Arteta still has, by some distance, the most red cards for a team since he took over. But it's good to get in that habit. It, it, it is, and I like. I do agree with you that I didn't love the way Arsenal. Arteta adjusted the team uh, immediately after Tommy Asu's uh, red card and within a few moments it was sort of a back six. But equally, 
I think it's quite encouraging to see that, you know, you can put out that quartet, which is kind of what it devolved into of Kivior, um, Gabriel, Saliba, White, and they will just sit there and head everything away. And I thought that was a real, just a, n- a nice thing to know you have in your back pocket, especially when we're at the stage of the season where everyone's looking at different things. One um, one other thing I wanted to point out on the subject of yellows and red cards, there was a really good question by James Ollie, um, which Mikel didn't really have an answer for, but it's a, an interesting idea to have percolating away over the coming weeks, which is, if VAR can look at a yellow card and deem it's a red card, um, but VAR, as we've seen before, you know, a heavy challenge that, that ends up actually constituting violent conduct, but it can't look at a second yellow and say, that's not a yellow. I mean, I don't know what you, I mean, I, I'm throwing this at you much like James threw it at Arteta. I don't know what you think of that, but that, that to me feels like a sort of loopholes the wrong word, but a, a gap that, ends up spoiling the contest because I think if VAR looks at that at the very least it says to to Coot go and have a look at the monitor are you sure that's enough contact and then I think that changes the game yeah no I agree and I think it's absolutely something they should probably consider because I can get right you're not supposed to you know VAR is only getting involved for goals and red cards and stuff like that it doesn't touch yellow cards but when that yellow card's the second one which means it's a red card and it changes the game so dramatically it is something I think they should they should potentially look at sort of opening up to, to VAR. I was watching this with my dad last night and he literally said the exact same thing that, you know, why, why can't, when it's a red card, why can't they look at it? Because it make, it has such a drastic impact on the match. Um, but I guess they might, they might think, you know, if you do that, then you've got to open it up to other things. So, um, but I don't know, but yeah, no, I think, I think it's definitely something to look at. Um, I just wanted to talk about the, the team lineup. Um, again, Mikel went with this, Thomas Party kind of is in the right back role when you're looking at when it's sort of set out like this, the four three three kind of Thomas Party is right back. He chose we went with Tommy Asu at left back in replace in place of the injured Timber. So you know Zinchenko, who's part of the squad but was only on the bench. Havertz again, sort of playing in that midfield role with Eddie up top. Um, I thought I really thought Gabriel was going to come back for this game. I thought obviously I could kind of understand why he did it against Nottingham Forest, but I thought it was just, we were going to see White move to right back and Gabriel come in at centre-back. What, what are you making of this new sort of approach that Mikel is going with? You know, once is obviously a, a kind of one-off, but this has been two games in a row now where he's persisted it, one home, one away. Is this a new, is this kind of a new way of thinking for Mikel Arteta? In the summer, is he is he sort of gone away in the summer? Looked at what happened at the end of last season, thought how do we how do we change things? How do we go to the next level? How do we win? How do we win games that we need to win? Is this is this a kind of a new look Arsenal, or are you still thinking this is more of a sort of temporary fix at the moment? I hope it's it's more of the latter, not not even just a temporary fix, but just a different look. You know, so that Zinchenko can come back in probably on Saturday and you can put whether it's rice at the base of midfield. I think one thing that, that maybe we don't talk enough about is rice really likes to, and it's, it's been pretty apparent. He likes to drift towards the left in possession. Um, even at West Ham where he was the six, he was a sort of left-sided six. Um, and I wonder if part of this is just sort of saying if Partey's the one coming into midfield, Rice can shuffle across a bit and he's in his natural position. I think when you pay £105 million uh, for a player, I'm quite keen to sort of say to him, mm, you can have a go from the right half space as well, mate. And you can, as I said at the top, he was sensational. So I hope this is because I, I just don't think Partey is as good at inverting or will be as good at inverting as Zinchenko. I don't fully understand why because what do we like about Zinchenko? We like how he can take the ball under pressure. He can move it quickly. He can beat the press if it's coming his way. Like Partey ticks every one of those boxes, but it's, it's just obviously not a role he's comfortable in. You need to give him the minutes, but um, it, it's not, it's not something I would kind of want Arsenal to, to roll out for a, a home game where they expect to, to dominate possession or, or indeed for a game, you know, the biggest games of the season. Um, I'd want to see Zinchenko in there. And of course, because he's really, really good. I just want to see Gabriel fitted into this team. I don't, I don't know about you, mate, but I think he's... My worry is that Mikel Arteta is also underrating Gabriel. I, I think he's sensational. I think, he, you know, we know he's a real leader. 
on and off the pitch. He's a, a workhorse. Um, and he's he is uniquely, I think he is, I think he's a better defender than Saliba. He might not have that burst, but I think his instincts are and his assertiveness is sensational. Um, I don't know what you think. A better defender than Saliba. I mean, no, I, I really I think he's fantastic. I thought he was brilliant when he came on last night as well, Gabriel. I thought he played really, really well. Um and yeah, I want to see him back in the team sooner rather than later. I can understand when he's playing this way, when he's setting the team up this way, and he's got party playing where he is. I can understand why he's got Ben White as the right side of centre back alongside mm. him. When party goes inside, then White can get, can still do the overlap, and you're not suddenly left with a big vacant space down that right hand side. If you've got Saliba and Gabriel there, I don't think party playing at right back and inverting works as well. I think it'll be a big space down the right, and Arsenal will be. You know they'll just they'll be lacking as an attacking force, but they can still you still have the option of White getting on the overlap as we saw certainly more against Nottingham Forest, maybe not as much yesterday, but mm. he still played that overlapping role with part of there. So I can understand it while he's playing Thomas there. It's going to be really interesting what happens at the weekend because I think you know Zinchenko, barring any setback from his minutes last night and anything that happens in training this week, I, I would imagine Zinchenko comes into the team on Saturday for the first time this season. And then it'll be really interesting what he does then. Do you continue to play party over there or do you go back to having Gabriel and Saliba in the centre and Ben White on the right? I'm like you. I hope it's the latter. I hope we see uh, Gabriel come back in and um, and move away from this Thomas kind of experiment. I don't think he played badly yesterday by any means. I thought he did all right. Um, but I do just wonder what, you know, Mikel would have spent a lot of time in the summer reflecting on what happened last season and thinking, you know, we were great last year, but we still missed out. You know, how do we take the next step? And I wonder if he looks at this and the players he has available to him now and start thinking, you know, to to move forward, maybe we have to be a little bit more less, I don't know, dynamic, fluid, exciting, and be just a little bit stronger to get over the line. Maybe he's sort of prioritising that over a bit of the you know, the gung-ho type football that we saw that excited us so much last season. Mm. And, you know, having party in that role, playing Havertz where he's playing him might 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 not make Arsenal more exciting, but maybe it makes them a little bit more effective at getting over the line and winning this game. So I do wonder if this is a little bit of his kind of new vision for Arsenal coming out. But um yeah, I I'm like you, I don't I don't overly like it. I think when you're winning, you can get away with it. But if it's, if you don't win, then a lot more questions are going to be asked. And and I just think, yeah, I think Gabriel's such a good player that he needs to be playing, really. I just It doesn't make much sense to me to have Gabriel sitting on the bench. Here's a question for you. If, um, let's say Zinchenko comes in and he plays last season's back four, um, who are the midfield three? Especially for a game against Fulham, who are... Um, to put it politely on the basis of the first two games, completely incapable of stopping their opponents from getting loads of shots. Yeah. Um, I mean, I personally, this weekend would have... I don't think you need Declan Rice and Thomas Partey in there together at home to Fulham. I think you go with Rice, Odegaard, and then either Havertz or Trossard or a Smith-Rowe even. I don't think it's going to be a Smith-Rowe, but... um, but somewhat something like that. I just don't think you need Party and Rice together in that game. So uh, I think Trossard's been really hard done by. You know, I'd, yeah. I'd want Trossard on the pitch as much as possible. I think he's such a good player. I think he makes things happen. I think he makes Arsenal look a better team when he's on the pitch. But I also don't want to suddenly bring Kai Havertz out the side straight away. He's getting a lot of grief at the moment, Kai Havertz, which I think is really unfair after two mm. games. I don't think he's done anything bad in the first two games. He hasn't done anything thrilling or exciting. But I think Mikel would have been very happy with what he's got from Havertz yesterday in that in that game. He could have had an assist in about the second or third minute, wasn't it? When, it when... Martinelli took so long over that, you know. I thought Havertz did really well. With it. Yeah, yeah, just have a dig. But he didn't. Um, and, and I think Havertz is just... What we're seeing already, certainly from the sort of online fan base and the online reaction to Havertz, is exactly what I was expecting to happen this season. Unless he just starts scoring two goals a game and is this and just does some sensational stuff. Everyone's going to get on his back. And I think we're seeing that at the moment. And I don't think he's done anything terribly wrong. I think he's done exactly what Mikel Arteta wanted him to, would have wanted him to do. It would be nice, obviously, if he got himself a couple of goals or something like that. But I don't think Arteta's going to be sitting there 
on the coach on the way home last night thinking our oh, habits was poor and I'm disappointed with that performance. I think he'd have been quite happy with what he got from Kai. I think we'd have praised Granite Xhaka for the same performance. And of course, we should be holding Havertz to, to higher standards because, you know, we should expect everyone from Arsenal to improve. But um, yeah, I think the real challenge here is that, the, you know, like you say, it's the online fan base of it all, isn't it? It's, 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 a, it's a transfer that divided people and um, it's 2023. So people, I, I didn't think Arsenal should sign Kai Havertz. But no, like, do you know what's do you know what's really fun, and a lot of people on the internet could do with embracing more, like discovering that you're wrong. It's uh, and like Arsenal spent an awful lot of last season teaching me that um, when I said they wouldn't get in the top four. Like, just enjoy learning new things. Um, you know, high habits might be good, he might be bad, but right now we should just be in a in a place where we're thinking, you know, what are we what what are we actually seeing? Not you know not not you know what's the what's the output not like using stats for bad bad faith arguments like mm. yeah he's had no goals and no assists but i certainly think in the first half arsenal were a better team for having kai havertz in yeah no i thought he did perfectly well last night and i just think the reaction is so over the top online but it's what you come to expect and you know it's, it's kind of similar for eddie as well i thought eddie played really well last night i, I really did obviously obviously he missed a couple of chances in the first half the first half was very very unlucky. If he just got a little bit of bend on it, it would it would have hit the inside of the post and gone in. It didn't just didn't get that bend, but he created that chance himself. I thought, you know, his run for the second one was great. The finish obviously, but it was just too heavy. It happens. You try and lift it over the keeper, you just get a little bit too much on it. But I thought, as a forward, his forward play I thought was really really good, and he was brilliant to win the penalty. Really alive, really alert. He's played two games this season. He scored one goal, and then he's won the penalty that that basically won the second game as well. And and yet he's still getting absolutely hammered and pelters. And it's, I say all the time, and you've got to remove yourself from the social media reaction a lot of the time and think that's mm. what thinks you just the more, the loudest people on there are the ones you hear the most and see the most. And they're the ones that tend to be shouting the most. But I just don't see how anyone can watch that performance from Enketia last night and not think that was a decent performance from, from him. I thought he played really, really well. It's so interesting. I would love the... Um... The people that 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 chastise him on social media, I, I, I don't know how many of them come to the Emirates regularly, but um, I would love to see them do that when uh, Enketia scores a goal at the Emirates because, like the crowd, the home crowd, love Eddie, and you know we can take that right the way back to that game against Norwich. I think since that day, the Emirates has had a real soft spot for Enketia, and look, I I completely agree with you, and I mean I wrote my post-game column on Nketiah and I think sort of a lot of people are like, what are you writing about Nketiah? He didn't have a good game. He did because what you want from a striker is someone that keeps getting in positions. The goals will come. Like, you know, I, from an XG perspective, Nketiah is still underperforming his XG. I think across the Premier League, he's he, he's got 12 goals and I think his XG is over 15. But on the basis of the fact we he can kick a football competently I, he will he will have a moment where he's, he gets sort of four or five xg but turns that into seven or eight goals because that's what happens with every player and mm. you know aside from messi harland son you know a handful of players most players don't most great strikers don't massively overperform their xg year in year out the best you know abamyang at the peak of his powers kane get in position to get loads of good shots and they'll miss some and they'll look stupid, but you know what? They'll keep going. And, and Ketia kept going after a, a miss that could have, you know, really could have like hammered his, his game, his season. You know, you know that there would have been, we'd be talking about Flo Balogun if Nketiah hadn't won the penalty. We'd be talking about Trossard, but he keeps going. He keeps getting in these positions. And, and what, on one occasion, he doesn't have to make it right because Sam Johnston is, a split second too slow and he only gets the hit and gets his ankle rather than the ball. You know, I know that he's probably never going to be quite good enough to be Arsenal's number one striker, but the guy has this ability to find spots where he can get really good shots up. I don't think that's all, you know, training. I think there's something about him and the way he sees movement in the penalty area. And you can see how lithe and light on his feet he is. Um, I wouldn't be rushing to to part ways with that 
uh, not that Arsenal are, but you know, every to every summer people say I'm selling Ketia. I'm not keen. The guy gets shots. The guy gets good shots, and and I don't want him getting that that run of of good scoring form in the colours of another team in the Premier League because I think they'd be very pleased to have him. Yeah, I, I agree, and look, I, I agree as well. He's you know he's probably not at the level to be Arsenal's main striker for a huge period of time for a full season, but I think for where he is and his place in this squad, I think he's a very good player, and I think Mikel Arteta certainly. Uh, appreciates him as well. It's just on what Mikel had to say after the game on the win. He said, mm. um, I've brought the quotes up here. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can see it. If you're listening on a podcast format, he said that I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It's a really difficult place to come. We played how we wanted to play 11 against 11. We dominated the game. We created enough chances. We missed two very, very huge chances that normally we put away, but we never gave up. We continued the way we wanted to continue. Eddie earned us the right to go ahead with his action. We scored the penalty and then we had to play the, an hour, um, half an hour with 10 men which is obviously a conflict that we didn't prepare for. Um, so even there, he's talking about the fact that Eddie earned us the right to go ahead with his action. You know, and Mikel's very, he always singles out Eddie and Ketia for praise. He does. That's to boost his confidence. I don't know whether he he kind of understands and realises that Eddie needs that to um, to sort of build his confidence levels up. I don't know, but Mikel's very, always very keen to praise Eddie and Ketia. And, and I thought he deserved it last night. I thought it was really, really good. And one of Arsenal's better um, performers, on the night, I mean, the star performer on the night, you've touched on it already, Declan Rice. You know, I think this is the reason why Arsenal signed Declan Rice, just for performances like this, for games like this, when you need you need that real sort of strength in the midfield to control things. And, you know, I think it's just so encouraging. This is his second game for Arsenal in the Premier League, and he goes away and he puts in a performance like that. And, you know, Mikel, full of credit for him after the game, said he was great. He bossed the midfield, dominated the game, very influential, both attacking and defending played in a different position to last week because of what we expected from Palace and what we needed today. I think it was really good. And he he was sensational at both ends of the pitch. Defensively, he was great. Going forward, he was great. I mean, we talk about the Eddie and Ketia chance. That all came from a really smart run from Declan Rice getting on the back of, I think it was Eze, didn't he? He left Eze yeah. and got in there and then really smart little ball through to set up the chance for Eddie. And um, yeah, just a fabulous performance from a, from a player who I just can't wait to see what he's going to bring to this Arsenal team over the course of the full season. His pass map from last night is PLO-esque. It's it pinging the ball yeah. every time and it just drops on Saka's feet. Um, there's a real understanding there uh, and clearly an understanding that the best way to make chances for Arsenal is to get the ball quickly to Saka when he's one-on-one with a fullback. I mean, th- th- that that quote there misses the bit where um, he was asked sort of, is this, have we seen sort of, the you know the vision of Declan Rice in, in an Arsenal shirt, I think was how it was phrased. And Arteta just goes, "Oh, just a little bit." I think they, I think you know, he's he is really excited more than anything else. You you know, sometimes with with players, even even the same player, sometimes you can ask Arteta a, a question, and he'll be very conscious of you know not bigging the player up, mm. not not getting too carried away. Um, I don't, I just don't think he could help himself. Uh, I don't because I don't think he really loves he, he like many managers he doesn't love sing 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 singling out individuals. He always, he always turns it to the collective. Whenever you try to speak, to Arsenal player, he always turns it to within about five words. He's talking about the team rather than the player. And I, he just like he couldn't help himself. And like he he's not alone in that regard. Um, you know, I, it's. He's, you know, he's already just seems so settled, doesn't he? You know, coming out to do the, the quotes. I know people point, you know, maybe viewers don't really appreciate how, how much this sort of shows the dressing room hierarchy to a little bit. You know, the player that comes and speaks after a tough, hard fought win, especially at a club like Arsenal, where maybe a lot of the players don't fancy doing media duties. And I know he's the sort of person that will always go, yeah, I'll, I'll say, I'll say a few pieces, and um, he's. He's just fitting like a glove. Like Arteta said, I thought he was more of like the pure number six on his own today. Partey actually didn't kind of come in field quite as much. And him and Tomiyasu were a bit further wide. And Partey was just, uh, Rice was just holding the fort on his own. Brilliant, um, brilliant eye for, you know, the passes we talked about. So many things you don't see that you'll, you kind of only get to see if you religiously watch Rice because the, the passes that Eze can't make that, Decore can't make because Rice has already gone and blocked up that lane. Um, 
this is this is great stuff. We knew he would we knew he would fit in quickly, but I I didn't think he'd be this good so soon. No, no, one hundred percent. And that's why I think when you look ahead to Saturday, and if you are gonna change things up a little bit, that you know, a lot of people are saying, Oh, Thomas Party needs to come back into midfield, but I just think Declan Rice is just you can't move Declan Rice out of that. And I'm just not sure you need both of them. I think go, quickly going back to Kai Havertz, a lot of the grief he seems to be getting at the moment is that people seem to look at it and think, oh, Arteta is doing this with the team because he's trying to shoehorn Havertz into the side. I've seen that a lot of times. That mentioned a lot of times. And I just don't, I don't buy into that. I don't think we're seeing Thomas Party shuffled out to that right-back role just because Mikel wants to get Kai Havertz into the team. I think... Yeah, I just don't think that's the case. Do you? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. No, because what he's asking... Because he's not asking sort of Havertz to do anything that's dissimilar to to what Xhaka did last season. Like he's trying to he's trying to get Partey and Rice in the team, and you know that's I think that's really what we've been debating when we've been critical about this system is is he trying too hard to do that? Like you know Declan Rice is much more six than eight, so is Partey. Havertz is an eight slash ten, um, and Arsenal need one. They need someone to get in the box, especially against teams like. Forest, to an extent Palace and definitely Fulham at the weekend. You know, they need to be committing numbers to the, the penalty area. He was he's absolutely fine for, for two games into his Arsenal career. Um, you know, he is he's doing what we expect of that role. I just I just think it's it's nonsense. Yeah. I think the fact he's a bit he doesn't look like the right footballer, he doesn't you know, he didn't settle well at Chelsea. It's it's all just discourse. Um, it is tomorrow's chip. Well, it's not even tomorrow's chip wrappers. It's tomorrow's digital guff that will be yeah. forgotten, lost to the winds of time, deleted by Elon. Yeah, I think I think you're you're right. I think it's more of a case of trying to get Rice and Party into the team rather than shoehorn in Havertz. It's like how how can we play Rice and Havertz, Rice and Party together if we're not going to play one of them as the Eight, which I don't think works really, unless I, I like that option. Say when you go to the Etihad or something like that. But for the games we've seen so far this season, I don't think Arsenal need that. And it's a case of getting one of them as a six, and, and that's it. It'll be interesting to see what we see on uh, against Fulham. I just wonder, were you surprised that Martin Odegaard took the penalty? Oh well, Arteta was. Um, yeah, I yeah, I like though that there's no. There's, I don't think there is a penalty taker, is there? Because well, when well, he said. said was, didn't he? He was like, oh, I don't know. They just obviously changed yeah. it on the pitch because normally it's like set in stone, isn't it? Certainly at some clubs. So I was quite surprised by that comment by Arteta as well that there's clearly no, you know, he hasn't decided it before the game. If we get a penalty, you're taking it. He leaves it up to the players. Is that the, um, I wonder if that's, you know, last season we saw such a trend for goalkeepers and defenders trying to wind up whoever was taking the penalty kick and it probably worked quite well, actually, all, all told. Um, and then you sort of saw you know, someone like Erdegaard would go and take the ball and act like he was the taker and, and Saka would. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, here's the, you know, here's the, the forward-looking perspective on this. You know, we all talk about practising penalty shootouts in the, the training ground and it's important to do, but you can't replicate the pressure. If you're trying to replicate the pressure, spending the next six months before the Champions League knockout rounds where Erdegaard takes penalty in a big game, Martinelli does, Saka does, Jesus does, Havertz does. That's as good a way as you're going to get to to warm yourselves up for the penalty shootouts that may be to come in the Champions League. It, it seems pretty obvious to me that um, there is no set uh, taker. 
Um, and I like that. I think that's cool. Um, and long may it continue uh, until someone, at least until we sort of unearth a, uh, who's a great penalty taker. I can't think of Jorginho. anyone. That's annoying. Jorginho. Yeah. Oh yeah, we got him. He's quite good as well, isn't he? I thought he was great off the bench, by the way. Yeah, I thought all the subs who came on played really mm. well. Actually, I thought, like you said, Zinchenko's little cameo was great and just immediately made Arsenal look 10 times better when he was on the bench. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I can't wait to see him. It was a good penalty by the guard as well. Fair play. I, I was surprised. I was wondering, you know, is this... You know, have those misses at the end of last season impacted Saka a little bit more than maybe we thought they would? He did take one in the shootout and the Charity Shield and scored. Um, so he sort of, you know, it's not like he'd missed his last penalty. He'd scored his last penalty. And I, I expected when it was given, like you said, you sort of see Odegaard standing there with the ball in his hand around the penalty spot. But at some point, I was just waiting for him to turn around, throw it to Saka once everyone had cleared out and Saka would take it. So I was a bit surprised, but he stuck it away, which is up and running for him um, this season. Gabriel. Obviously, Mikel was very forthright afterwards when he sort of immediately shut it down. He was asking, you know, is, is this linked with his future? And he was like, no, no, no. He's going to play lots of games. It's just, I, actually, I've got the quote. I'll bring it up just so I can mm. say. My question, that. Great you, question. Great question there, James. He said, nothing <laughs> in it at all. It's about games that we're expecting, how we're going to defend and attack and what I believe is the best thing. He played in both games and helped us win both for different reasons. He was really good today. He absolutely dominated the box when he came on. And he's going to play a lot of games. That's a decision sometimes. Um, there was, you know, a lot of reaction when the team news came out an hour before, as there always is. Um, and I wasn't surprised because I thought he would come into the team. Um, it's just strange, a player who was so integral, such one of the first names on the team sheet, suddenly finds himself on the bench for a couple of games. It, it's just a really interesting one. But, I'm, you know, as long as Mikel's not, pulling the wall over our eyes with this comment here. You know, I'm very, very happy and relieved to see that this is not linked in any way to him potentially leaving the club. Because as we spoke about, I think we and you spoke about it last week, didn't we? I just think it'd be a disastrous decision for Arsenal should they should they let him go. It'd be totally foolish. And um, look, you know, Al Itihad's president, whose name I'm not going to try and pronounce without it written down in front of me, uh, he is in London. Um, I don't I have to say, I don't know what to say here. It's not just like Gabriel is not the only player on that list. Um, uh, there are more high profile names on that list. I think CBS wouldn't like it if I dropped this in a podcast. Um, but yeah, you know, Al had looking for a new centre back. Um, Gabriel is one of the names on the list, but there are other Premier League clubs um, actually not based in London where their players are of interest to Al Itihad. So uh but I mean, really, I don't think it probably made it into the transcript because Arteta didn't even really answer the question beyond just shaking his head. But I sort of said, look, you know, are you would you even consider doing business um, for Gabriel? Just no, not a chance, mate. Um, I, do, I do wonder if this, I don't think this is anything to do with preparing the fans for a season of this. But, you know, it, it's almost Arteta saying to his squad, get used to this. You know, yeah, Gabriel was a first name on the team sheet, but if he doesn't fit the the game plan I'm going for, I won't play him. And that I suspect we're going to have these conversations where Thomas Partey doesn't play three or four games where, uh, I mean, Zinchenko um, or, you know, Martinelli, players like that. I think there are, I think you probably count three to four players maybe five that absolutely guaranteed a spot when everyone's fit. Um, mm -hmm. You know, your Saliba's, Saka's, Jesus's. I don't know what you think. Is this, to me, to me, this really just feels like him wanting to look at a different game plan because he knows Gabriel and Saliba, that's a, Gabriel Saliba's in Jenko White, all things being equal, that's a potential title winning defence and he wants to find one or two more of them. Yeah, I think so. Like here's uh, Tony saying, he's, you know, is he injured? He can't think of any other reason why. He's look at and he says, no, he's clearly not injured. I don't think. And he also says that Party cannot play right back. But I just think, as I said earlier, I think if Party is going to be in that right back role, I just, I just, I can understand why Ben White is playing in that right sided position, and it's not, you know, and he's moved Saliba across. So I can kind of understand it. I just think tactically, it, it works better with Ben White, who can still get on the overlap and create a little bit of a overload on the right hand side if needed to link up with Saka. Um, and yeah, I just think it's, it is something we're going to have to get used to. I think Arteta is going to make changes to his team. I think we're going to be surprised at team selections pretty much every week. 
between now and the end of the season. Whereas last season, we'd you know we'd sit in the press room at the Emirates before the game. It wouldn't even really pay attention to the fact it was, it was very injury. helpful for it was very helpful for whoever was there from Football London and needed to write up their team news for two yeah. o'clock or exactly they you got just, no chance there. You barely had to pay any attention to it because you just knew what the team was going to be. And obviously, that's very different this season. I think a lot of work Arsenal did in the transfer window is to make that very, very different. So, um, but I do want to see him back in the side sooner rather than later. I have to say, I think he's too good to be sitting on the bench. And um, although he's a good, <laughs> he's definitely a better Rob Holding to throw on when you're, <laughs> when you're protecting a lead. It's, it's nice to see Gabriel coming on to see out a win than, uh, rather than Rob Holding coming on. And that's no dig at Rob Holding, but. But maybe the real message of this sort of was to say to Rob, like, Rob, we don't even like, you know, if you want to think about going anywhere, Rob, your legacy is safe. Gabrielle will be the man to protect your legacy going forward. Yeah, we wait and see what happens, Rob. There's so much to do in this transfer. What's the date? What's the date? 22nd. Uh, 22nd. So we've got 10, 10 days or so, nine days or so until the transfer deadline closes. More importantly, we've got, uh, no, definitely got nine days to go until a certain book comes out, which is, um, Definitely more. Important. I still haven't got my copy. Haven't you? I'll get. No. I'll get, get onto the publishers. You, you actually know I had an email yesterday, yesterday saying they were being sent out at the moment. So you, hopefully you'll be getting oh. it through the door very, very uh, soon. Stuff. If you're not, you know, if you're not like James Benj and you're on the VIP list, everyone, then you know, unfortunately <laughs> you have to do the pre-order link. It is below in the description, so get on it. Um, and I've totally lost train. Oh yeah, the transfer window. Yeah, eight, nine days to go, ten days to go, whatever it is. There's so much to do for Arsenal in terms of outgoings at the moment. I've seen Balogun not in the squad yesterday. Tierney once again not in the squad yesterday. Rob Holden nowhere to be seen. Yeah, these are players that their futures really, really do need to be resolved in the next 10 days or so. And if Arsenal are to do any business in terms of incomings, you know, I think that's just not going to happen unless some of these players move out the door very, very soon. And uh, I think it's going to be... I, I am expecting movement on the Balogun front fairly soon. I think that's going to all kick into gear. Um pretty quickly and it has to but yeah i mean how are, you, how are you sort of viewing things now with what we've got 10 days to go before the window window shuts where arsenal are uh balligan i think they played quite well um actually there was always going to be a market for him best to wait till the end of the window and and see if silly money comes in and um you know chelsea looking around there is no sillier money than the, that at stamford bridge uh, I'm certain you could pay a premium. We we all hear those whispers of a certain other London team. I think that would be a very brave move if um, if that ever went through. But I mean, you know, the Premier League suitors are starting to emerge. It does really seem like Monaco will be back in as well. They need a striker and they're not short on cash either after selling lights of De Sassi. So I feel like they're in a good position with Balogun. Fulham. Fulham as well. Fulham. Yeah, and we know how much Fulham... You, you know that Tony Khan has a sort of Excel document, shortlist, whatever. And the minute that Balogun declared for the, the US national team, zoom, straight up. They love an American at Fulham, don't they? Um, so that one's very interesting. Tierney, how, much they, though, is, how much did they get for Mitrovic in the end? 58, at least. Uh, and I don't know if it was all up front, but the one thing that when Saudi Arabia pay for a, pl- a club, a player, they pay for clubs do. Um, when they pay for a player, they tend to, to agree to quite favourable payment terms. I don't, I don't know what it was with Mitrovic, uh, but I know that Wolves got every penny of the Ruben Neves money in one go, which wow. you're not supposed to do. <laughs> As in, like it just doesn't happen. Um, so they've got a bit of cash. I, I'm intrigued what happens with Tierney because, like, you know, you might know better here, but I don't exactly think Arsenal have been overloaded with offers. There's the interest from Sociedad. Um, but like you know, you wouldn't rush to agree to a loan deal where you probably aren't even expecting that option to get picked up. The one to watch there is is what Celtic can put together. They would love to have him back. I know that Brendan Rogers back there now. They had such success together, those two. Um, they couldn't really get very close to Tierney's wages, I don't think. Um, and he, I don't even I don't know about the transfer fee, but you know, based on what we know about. Right, Tierney, I would be interested to see if if Celtic can put something together on that front um, because right now Arsenal aren't getting these great offers like they, they are expecting to get for Balogun. Um, it'd be so I'm, I'm really you surprised. Could... I'm really surprised. I, I, yeah. I honestly thought Tierney was going to be such an easy sell this this window. I'm I'm I just don't get Newcastle. I, it's just 
you know, that sort of money they paid for Lewis Hall is a handful of Premier League games. You could have just got a ready-made left-back, international left-back, who's still young and is a very talented player who felt perfect for Newcastle. I think it's a really odd call by them. Really surprised that they've done it. I mean, I think for Arsenal, in long term, it might help because I think Tierney going to Newcastle certainly strengthens Newcastle. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think Arsenal will be shedding too many tears. I, think, I don't know what you think just on the market as a whole, but I almost think we've got to the stage where they just the, the players that are like 20, 21 are getting fetishized so much because, you know, the scouting departments look at them and go, Lewis Hall could be the next, uh, well, probably not actually Cole, but he could be the next world-class left back or the next, you know, next Alex Zinchenko. And you go, well, okay, but will he be? And, mm. you know, the, the simple reality is that you, you probably need five talented young players to get one really good one because that's just what development's like. Um, and I think, like you say, if you're a club like Newcastle where financial fair play issues, whilst they may exist, you know, there are always more friendlies to be hosted for the Saudi Arabian national team to help those coffers. Why on earth you are not going for a, a prime age, a young prime, Kieran Tierney, and players like that across, and it's not just Newcastle, it's Chelsea spending silly money on on players that balance the probability, as many will be flops as as hits. And um, mm. that's the challenge with Tierney, is, is everyone's now so obsessed with 19, 20-year-olds that they sort of look at this, was he 25? 26? Yeah, 25, I think. Talent, 25-year-old 20, international left-back who's played a lot of high-level games for Arsenal. And they go, oh, I don't want you, old man. You've got yeah. no resale value. It's like, maybe you might get five, six good years out of him. Yeah. I think also when you look at this success Arsenal have had, the sort of players they're targeting, you know, it's not so much been the 18, 19-year-olds. It's been the sort of 22, 23-year-olds mm. in that age bracket who, although they're still young, they've all, all arrived with lots of experience already under their belt. And I think Arsenal have benefited from that um, completely. Quickly, before we move on to a couple of questions to end today, um, you were at three games, I think, this this week, weren't you? Yes. You were at, uh, Spurs, United. What was the other game you were at? Chelsea. Spurs, United, Chelsea, West Ham. Um, it has been, you know, we all know I'm totally objective. It's been a really enjoyable weekend for me. Yeah. Shame yeah. Been, I mean, I watched, I watched the Spurs, United game. I thought United were unbelievably bad in the second half. I thought it was a pitiful performance from them. I didn't quite understand how they were so bad. I thought Tottenham played well and... You know, what I'm seeing from Tottenham so far, certainly in that second half, is kind of what I expected from him under Postacoglu. I think he's a good appointment and I think he'll get him playing decent football. I think Madison's going to be a fabulous signing for them. And you can kind of see already the signs of what he wants and how he's going to get Tottenham playing. Look at United and you watch him against Wolves and you watched him in that game against... They basically served up, I said it on social media, like 180 minutes of dross this season. They've been so, so poor and... um. Yeah, I mean, I, it's just been an interesting couple of weeks. You look at Brighton, you know, they've obviously hit the ground running. Eight goals, two wins, flying. Matoma, Matoma's goal was so good. He's such a good player um, in their win at Wolves. And again, you look at what Wolves did to United on that opening day or that opening weekend and how they played and how they dominated United, even though they lost. And then you see them go and get turned over 4-1 yeah. to Brighton. And the next week says a lot about United. I thought City played well to beat Newcastle. It's a tight game, given what City had gone through on the Wednesday night in Athens come back and win that match. thought they kept Newcastle at arm's length pretty much the whole game. Barely gave Newcastle a sniff. So it was a good win for them given the circumstances. Liverpool, I think, are going to concede lots of goals. They're going to score lots of goals. Uh, but I mean, what have you made of the first sort of two weeks of where we are right now and how the table very early on, obviously, is beginning to shape up? What are your thoughts on the early stages of the season? Well, from an, you know, starting from the Arsenal perspective, I would feel encouraged that, you know, what we thought at the start of the season is true. Like, they are the team that will probably be kind of in City's shadow. If things go wrong for City, it doesn't really feel to me like there is an obvious team to steal in. Um, there is the slightly wild team that might steal in because, you know, the way Brighton finished last season and the way they started this, I'm I'm looking at them and I'm I'm kind of expecting that next season I'm going to be um, going down to the Amex to watch Champions League football. Like I, I, like you say, I don't think I don't think Manchester United are anywhere near as good as they are. Um, Newcastle, yeah, I mean, I mean, this is, for me, like I'm looking at the top four as 
City, Arsenal, gap, um, a big, big gap, and then Brighton and Newcastle in in some order. Um, I, th- I think Brighton are, are sensational, and you can tell they've really enjoyed their uh, their preseason under Deserby. Mm. And it, it, it speaks so much about joined up recruitment. I know they don't have the guy to replace Caicedo. I wonder if they did. Maybe we might even be talking about them as possible title challengers if they'd managed to keep hold of Caicedo. I, I wish they'd just said, sorry, Alexis, sorry, Moises. Actually, we think we could do something really special if you hang around. We'll sell you in a heartbeat next summer. We won't be our usual selves negotiating over fees. Give us one season. Let us see what we could do because that team... That team could be have been incredible. I still think they could be a top four team. Um, but the the difference between them and United, you're looking at a team with who paid for what may end up being one really good year of Casemiro. They've started to pair a, a player of limited mobility um, with two number tens, not eights, tens, um, and that ain't going to work. The only thing you have to say is. We were saying the same thing about Ten Hag two games into last season. He he went a bit more conservative and they got good. Um, there is a sort of easy fix. Drop Anthony, move Mount to the right. Um, drop Anthony, just that's a good starting point. Um, move Mount to the right, bring Ericsson in, and they might be a bit more solid by the time they come to the Emirates. But I, I know it's Arsenal against Man United. Arsenal should run rings around that team. They really should. And I'd be disappointed if they don't win convincingly, um, you know, from a, just from a what I expect of Arsenal perspective. Do you yeah. know better them? Oh, I think they should. But you just never know if United are going to turn up on the day and, and perform. I just, mm. Yeah, I think I, you know, I don't see anything from what I've seen from Man United and I'm remotely worried about what they're going to bring this season. It just seems so easy to get at them. It's just basically run through the middle and you're, and you're in. <laughs> it just seems, you know, what Wolves did to them kind of looked at it and think, oh, was that a bit of a one-off? Was that a bit of a freak result, a freak performance? And then you just see Tottenham do exactly the same thing in the second half. And, you know, Tottenham are no well beaters by any means. And and yet they still just com- controlled that second half. We're so comfortably better than them. So, so yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that United game on the uh, on the third, I think it is. Um, mm-hmm. All right, let's quickly finish this. We're getting towards the hour mark. So let's begin to wrap this up. A couple of questions. Um, here's one from, I can't even pronounce what how that... Let's go with that. Says, yeah. uh, I think we should be patient with Kai. We need to be loud for him in the stadium, be behind him, and make him feel comfortable. I believe that's what he needs now, just to settle and be comfortable. And and I agree. Like we've, we've spoken about it, so I'm not going to spend too much more time on habits. But I just think, and I think he will get the support in the stadium. Obviously, social media is a different thing. The online is a different thing. But I think in the stadium, he'll get a lot of support. I think there's there's already a song for him that the away fans were singing yesterday. Um, and so I think that he will get the support he needs. And I think in Arteta, he's going to get a manager who's going to give him the time and the support. Because you just got to understand, it's a different it's a different team. He's playing a new position in a different team. It is going to take him time to settle. And I don't think he's ever going to be a player who wows you. He's no, he's not a sacker or Martinelli. You're going to be like, oh my God, that was amazing. But I think he's going to be effective. And I think if he does that and continues to do that, then Mikel Arteta is going to continue to use him because he's going to be, be happy. So I'm not going to spend more, much more time on that, James. I've already spoken about him. Uh, this was the main question I wanted to talk about. Oh, what is this? I know, and I know how much of a wrestling fan you are. Do you know, what, do you know what's happening on Sunday at Wembley? Uh, is it is it it's Tony Khan's wrestling thing, isn't it? Which has it got... Tony Khan's, AWE. AWE. And that's A-W-E. got some people that... Okay. And that's got some people that did used to do WWE. It's got some, yeah, not not all. It's kind of it kind of it emerged out of the frustrations of some people in WWE and wanting a different promotion to rival WWE. Like Chris Jericho went over, but they sort of formed up with Cody Rhodes, who's now back in WWE, and the Young Bucks with Tony Khan. They created this new. Is promotion. this as is it as good as WCW was back before that? I remember that merger from my. I was my always, tens. I was always, I was never a WCW fan. Even during the Monday Night Wars, I was very much WWE or WWF back then, and uh, I didn't. I felt like I was cheating on WWF if I watched WCW. But this is different. And uh, to be fair, I'm still in more into WWE than I'm into AEW. But I'm very much looking forward to uh, to Sunday. I will be at Wembley along with nearly oh. nine thousand other people. Um, Best of luck getting home. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Going to be lots of fun. And uh, yeah, so Charlie here, who was at WrestleMania 2009 in Houston, where I was seeing the legendary Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker match. Although I was so hungover for it that it was a pretty brutal Sunday in Houston for that one. But 
he brings up Ivan Tony's comments on the Diary of a CEO podcast. Did you see him? Did you watch that um, that podcast? I that did. And I yeah. really don't like Stephen Bartlett. That's how much I thought there might be news value in it. Okay, fair enough. But he spoke a little bit about Arsenal. He name drops Arsenal in that when he was saying talking about his next move. He he said he was a Liverpool fan, but then he quickly transitioned the conversation to Arsenal and how Arsenal play and how much he likes them and. Yeah, I really I love Ivan Tony. I mean, last season that game, the one all game, obviously it was the big takeaway from that was what happened with the VAR and the equaliser. But his performance, I, I've not seen anyone trouble William Saliba yeah. like Ivan Tony did in that performance. He was absolutely exceptional. And I do think next summer we're potentially going to see Arsenal go into a market for another striker. And I would absolutely love Ivan Tony to come to Arsenal. I don't know if you agree. I completely and wholeheartedly agree um you know i mean watching that you know some of the stats that tony's told of it's it's quite staggering this was the third highest score in the premier league last season behind kane and harland um he would be wonderful for the squad he's such a counterpoint to to a gabriel jesus because like you say he just physically dominates in a way that so few other other strikers can and yeah it was a, a real like look i was a boyhood liverpool fan but let me tell you how much i love arsenal yeah it was interesting um, the way he did it it was just let me get let me shoehorn arsenal in as quickly as i possibly can here i, I don't know if i would well i don't know i mean is there an argument to to have a go in january the other thing he, he kept saying it and i know it's what footballers say but he was so he seemed so convinced when she said i'm gonna be better than ever when i come back I almost wonder if, you know, if you spoke to Stan and Josh very nicely in January and if you're Mikel and I do and said, look, we can maybe get him a little, a little cheaper now than if we wait till the summer when a few other clubs will be on his case. It's also worth remembering that come that summertime, um, he'll have one year left on his deal. Um, Arsenal and Brentford get on well they've done a lot of good business even before the david ride deal they they know each other there's there's good connections at a high level i mean i'd still i'd be disappointed if arsenal didn't even kind of scout out around victor osserman and said hey what would what would that cost but um you are talking like, if you give me ivan tony i'm happy i'm a happy man when when's his ban run out is it in january it's yeah, I don't know exactly when in January. I know his first game back is against Tottenham. Um, so it's mid-January, I think. Yeah, yeah I would ask, depending on where Arsenal are and how the season's shaping up, I mean, God, you dip into the market and bring in Ivan Tony in January, that certainly strengthens your hand over the second half season. I'd love it, honestly. He's right up there on my list of players that Arsenal um, should be targeting. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much for that, Charlie. And if you are at AEW this weekend, uh, then hopefully I might see you there. I think James Benj is going to be at the front Front, absolutely front not. Side. What would you have on your wrestling sign if you had a wrestling sign? You went, what would you have? Um, well, I was, I, I, you're asking me a question I don't know the answer to, but I was, you know, I watched a bit in the early noughties. I was 100% Team Undertaker, more American badass, which I feel like you're not going to respect the fact that I preferred no. him on a motorbike while Limp Biscuit was playing. Um, no. but I, um, I'm I'm a hundred percent team team Undertaker. He was retired now. Um, yeah, he must be like seventy. He has retired now. Yes, very much so. But what a legend he was. And as uh, it was Charlie in that comment at WrestleMania Houston 2009, Shawn Michaels versus Undertaker, arguably the greatest match of all time. Go and watch it, James, if you want to educate yourself. I will. Brilliant, brilliant wrestling storytelling. All right, that's it from myself and James and this week's episode of Inside Arsenal Extra Time. Thank you much, very much for joining, for watching. If you're watching this on YouTube or from listening, if you are listening to this on your podcast, have a very good remainder of your week. If you head into the Emirates on Saturday for the Fulham game, enjoy yourselves. Fingers crossed with me and James. Come back next week and talk. We will have another three points safely tucked away in the bag. Remember, everyone, 31st of August, Get your pre-orders in for the book if you haven't, or if you're in North London, get yourself down to Tollington on the 31st for the... Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves 
without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Launch night. Have a great weekend. Oh, it's a great week, everyone. Cheers, James. Thanks for joining me, mate. Have a good week. Thanks as ever. I'll catch up with you soon. 